Hey, good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, I am here to give you an update um, on my thinking. <laughs> and um, I am three days into my summer vacation. And I am ex- still ex- I'm still experiencing nothingness and nothingness and everything at the same time or nothing and everything at the same time. So in the previous reflection, I talked about this state of feeling nothing and then everything all at once, thinking nothing and thinking everything all at once. And I call it the abyss. In that reflection, I spend a lot of time trying to process this idea of consciousness and then juxtaposing that with this idea of awareness. And so I ended up coming up with a three-level treatment for people who have introverted intuition as their dominant function. Aware, awareness, consciousness, and then another level of awareness. Um, and so that was really, it was a good reflection. If you... um if you are interested in watching a concept form, then that's what you will observe in that reflection. Oftentimes we go to YouTube or we go to podcasts because we want concepts after they've been formed. We, we're interested in concepts after they've been formed. But there is value in being a part of the formation of concept formation watching a concept form in real time. And that's what I did in that reflection. Um, but I bring that up in this, in, in, at the start of today's reflection as an update, because in that reflection, I had nothing. I couldn't get anything. Um, and so what was that Saturday? I don't even know what day it was. It may have been Saturday. Um, and so, it was Sunday. I'm sorry. It was Sunday because Saturday I was in. I was not able to do any reflections. Um, and then Sunday I was starting to put together a list. And then Sunday I took a walk. After I did that reflection called The Abyss, I took a walk. And there's a podcast that I listened to that kind of reviews Carl Jung's thinking. Um, so I listened to a reflection excuse me, a podcast on death. That was intriguing to me. And I also know that one of the th- one thing I do know about this summer is that I want to grieve my father um, and grieve my aunt. But I, I want to make sure I have time to grieve my dad. And I haven't. I really, really haven't. I really haven't. And so... When I saw this episode pop up on this podcast for Carl Jung, I'm like, huh, what does he have to say about death? And that was powerful. And then, um, I don't know if I told you guys, but I've joined a, um, I don't know if I joined or I'm part of creating a group, a spiritual group. Um, it's a, we're educators. And we're educators that are, I think I told you guys this already, we're educators 
interested in um, exploring power or equity. They don't really say the word power, but that's what it's about. Educators interested in exploring equity. And so spirituality happened to pop up. Incidentally, in this group that I'm a part of, it's a voice community where we voice message each other or we voice in real time. Like if somebody started talking right now, I can listen to it later as a message or I can listen to it right now. So it's just an app for that. It's an app. And, uh, and when spirituality came up in this around, and then we're talking in this equity community, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm interested in that. First of all, I'm on this, I'm in this bubble right now where I'm exploring spirituality for me. And, um, and I was like, and equity is what I do is what I live and breathe equity. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's an interesting intersection. And so the three of us left that, not left that group, but we didn't leave that group. We didn't leave that community. We formed a new community. And we have been talking for about a week, a little over a week. And so that has given me a lot of nuggets to chew on around spirituality. Um, and I think, I don't know if I told you, there's a Jewish guy in that group. And then it's a wife of a Episcopal. Episcopalian priest, and then you have me, who is culturally Christian. I'm, I think I like that terminology. I'm culturally Christian, um, but but right now I'm trying to define what spirituality means for me. Who am I as a spiritual being? Something I've been wanting to do for two years, about a at the start of last year, 2021, I talked about wanting to get into my spirituality and like, what, what does that even mean? What does that even mean in the absence of a religion? Right? A lot of times when we say we want to get into our spirituality, what we mean is we want to get into our faith, our, our religion and engage in some type of religious practice. But I don't want to do spirituality and religion. I want to do it. I want to have a spiritual life separate from religion, a religious life. And then I can take that spiritual life and move into any real religion and be okay. But I don't want religion giving me my spirituality. Now, that's where I'm at now. Who knows what's going to happen after I end this? Because I'm clearly in some kind of bubble right now. So anyway... So when, when I take the bubble that I've already been in terms of this quest for spirituality, uh, wanting to grieve my dad, being a part of this uh, spiritual equity voice community that just started, and that podcast episode on my dad, on death, there's just a lot. <laughs> there's a lot about spirituality that's on me, and so... I hadn't planned on um, going down that path with you, but apparently I did. So let me just say this. Um, so that's one of the things that I have been um, meditating on, ruminating on, in, you know, introspecting. I don't know if I should say it that way, but anyway, that's what I've been chewing on. But I didn't really, I didn't really 
believe I was ready to hit the record button to talk about spirituality because it's still so very abstract for me right now. But I'm gonna, but maybe that's what I'm gonna do since we're already eight minutes in here. Maybe that's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to just give you an update on my thinking on spirituality. How about that? <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you a spiritual update, but I know, please don't lock me into where I'm at right now. I'm clearly in something, but I don't think I've arrived at whatever destination that this journey is is taking me on. So, you know, every season I I, I tackle something and um, I really think that I'm ending this season <laughs> um, tackling what spirituality means for me. I, that's one of the things I'm ending with, which I might go into July uh, just because I'm having a hard time kicking out episodes. I may go into July and then go dark in August. I was planning on going dark in July, but I don't know if I'll be able to kick out those episodes that are remaining. I think I have, I think I have about 17, 16 to do. And it's June 15th. So anyway, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I Process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs system and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist, and I've been doing this work for about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. I politically um, connected tenets of critical race feminism, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity of power uh, in how it shows up in social constructs, such as race, class, gender, and sexuality, um, just to name a few. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. If you want to know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at youranidom.wordpress.com. So, um, I really think that when I don't have a clear topic, it takes me longer to set up the reflection. When I come in, I hit the record button. I know clearly what I want to talk about. I've been able to give you those disclaimers in five minutes, but I think when I'm not really sure what I'm going to talk about, I, I circle a little, I circle more and try to get revved up (laughs) to give you something. So, um, we're still doing good. I still am committed to giving you my disclaimers under 15 minutes. So far, I don't think I've broken that rule for myself for uh, season four, but we, I don't know for sure. I think I've been under 15 minutes consistently for season four, even though I was trying to get to under five, uh, under five minutes. But anyway, so let me just talk to you a little bit about where I'm at, give you an update on my thinking around spirituality um, one of my followers um, gave me some feedback on um, this. I think this is what he's talking about um, in the invisible episode. I think it's the invisible. No, it's called the unseen. The episode called the unseen. I think that's where I formally start 
processing spirituality. And I said that, what was I talking about religion? I don't know. Um, but it, I was juxtaposing NI spirituality versus SI spirituality. And I don't know how I said it then. So I'm not going to lock myself into any concrete construct for myself right now because I'm figuring some stuff out. But what's just hitting me now as I'm trying to, as I'm trying to recap that is I, because there is a difference between spirituality and religion, but I don't think those of us who have a religious background, I think religion dominates our schema as it relates to spirituality so much where they're inter intertwined and they don't have to be. But in this moment, I want to say that SI spirituality is more religious In I spirituality is what <laughs> you guys. I'm gonna. I'm, I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna stand right here because I, I I hit the pause button because I was I was like, okay, you you're trying to juxtapose S I spirituality as against something and you don't have the something. So S I. Um, you guys know, you should know that you need to go look up the jargon because SI stands for introverted sensing. And introverted people who have that in their top of their stack or their, uh, their, their dominant, their auxiliary function are more prone to traditions, things that have been proven in the past. That's where they put a lot of their faith. Their acceptance of what is real. Um, their knowings. Well, NIDOM is not based, is not locked into the past. NIDOM is, <laughs> what is it? It's locked in the mystery of the unknown, of the possibility. The unseen. Um, if that is located in the past, okay, but it's not the, it's not the fact that it's already been proven or tried. It is morally, more, more, probably more interested in what is yet to be discovered. Now, this is me working out some stuff right now, trying to form this concept, this thought, so anyway, um, as I was trying to find something to juxtapose against SI, excuse me, against SI spirituality, the first thing that came to me was, um, so if SI spirituality, spirituality is more religious, then NI spirituality is more blank, fill in the blank. So at first I said, after I put you guys on hold, I said, it's more human or humanness, humanness is like philosophical. Um, then I was like, I don't think it's just humanness. 
And I, I started thinking about environmental. Nope. And maybe the word is philosophical. Maybe, maybe that is the word. Where I ended up landing is that it's more divine. NI spirituality is more divine. But I think that that's a bias that I'm having because I am an NI Dom. Because I would imagine people who have SI in, in there at the top, they would see religion as more divine because it is the structured order of God. So somebody who has a, a SI spirituality might be more folk, might find more divinity in a religious practice because it's formed, it's been proven. And so I think I am going to say NI Dom is more philosophical. Excuse me. NI spirituality is more philosophical and SI spirituality is more religious. What do you guys think about that? What do you think about that naming, that juxtaposition? And again, I'm not married to this. It's just something I came up with in the moment. So, um, so yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, one of the things that I have been uh, really fascinated by over the past week is this idea of the soul. Soul, S-O-U-L. The soul as it relates to the body. The soul as it relates to spirit. The soul as it relates to God. The soul as it relates to life. And the soul as it relates to death been thinking about that I don't have anything concrete like I don't have any so what or this is what I came up with so I'm still processing it but I wanted to share some of the things that I that I've been flipping over in my mind so one of the texts that I was reading this the guy in this voice community that I'm in he's Jewish and he shared it um, somehow we started talking about soul the soul and spirit and the Bible. I don't remember how we started to talk, but he ended up sending me a link. He said, this is a, uh, a source that I use when I'm trying to delineate between body, soul, and spirit. And so, um, I've been looking, I've read that link, that, that content from that link several times now. I've also been perusing that website. There's a lot on that website. It's really good. It is really good. And so I had to explain, um, I was explaining to the, the lady in the group about the soul as it relates to Jewish tenants based on this website. Cause I mean, and the guy, um, who is Jewish was like, Oh, you're, you're becoming a Jewish scholar. <laughs> so I told my mom the other day, I said, I think I'm going to become a, you know, I don't want to be offensive, but I'm like, I might, I, it was a joke, but maybe, you know, sometimes jokes are offensive. So my apologies, but convert from Christianity to Judaism. And, um, I thought that my mother was going to blow a gasket, gasket when I said it, but she didn't because in all truthfulness. And as I'm learning from this, my Jewish friend, that Christianity is an ex 
It really was born out of Judaism. And I love when he talks about the Jewish, the Jewish Jesus. Really, really love that. So anyway, I, I can't go any further than that because I'm just not knowledgeable. But in terms of the soul, every, every living creature has a soul. This morning I was reading about sentient beings. Sentient, be, sentient beings are, it's anything that perceives Feels and feels. I want to say responds to data too, but I'm not. I believe that. I believe I read that somewhere this morning, but I read somewhere that there are five conditions of being a a sentient being. It's matter. Let me see if I wrote that down. Matter, sensation, mental formation, consciousness, and perception and that all all living entities are not sentient beings but according to the Jewish tradition or Jewish faith every living thing has a soul and for whatever reason I'm interested in this idea of being a sentient being and having a soul I don't know what the connection is yet but I'm interested in those two ideas that are separate so far until I can mesh them up together. Um, so, <laughs> um, so every every living thing has a soul, even a, a blade of grass. If it grows, it has a soul. I can get with that. That resonates with me. I, that that speaks to my belief system. Um, what was fascinating in the reading is that there are two humans have two souls. We have an animal soul and we have a godly soul. And I may have mentioned this already in the previous reflection. So I'm sorry if this is on repeat. Yeah, I did because I remember last week when I read or this weekend when I read about having both an animal soul and a godly soul that was settling for me. That gave me an element of peace. Because in the Christian faith, as I've been raised uh, to believe that that animal side of us is the sinful side of us. And this is interesting. And in that sinful nature, we are striving to be like God and be disconnected. From the sin part of us. Right. And it's kind of a contradiction. Because. As I've been taught in the Christian faith. Jesus came. As the the ultimate sacrifice. For our sins. For atonement. And it's this contradiction. That if Jesus came to atone our sins. Why is the big part of going to church. About being sin free. Don't commit a sin. I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm just telling you. I'm I'm not even. If you're listening to me and you're Christian and you have a way of reconciling that, uh, feel free to contact me. You're in idown.wordpress.com. <laughs> I would love to hear it because I'm open because it just feels like a contradiction. This is as a side note. This is something that as I'm reading about um, on this one website, 
Uh, I'm hardly, I've just been reading. No, no, no. I'm on two websites now. I just signed up, subscribed to another website this morning because I was reading something about the soul. And I didn't realize until I got to the end that the author was a rabbi. So I, I'm like, oh, so now I'm on two websites um, with two, two rabbis. Um, but as I'm understanding about the Jewish faith, that they um, are not only comfortable in disagreeing with each other, they feel that, if I'm understanding this correctly, they feel that God is in the disagreement. They, there's a web, there was an article I read about is in the argument to argue with God. And so they were showing examples. As I'm understanding it, the Torah is our Old Testament in the Bible. They, that in the, the books of the, I want to just reference and say the Old Testament, um, there gave cases where people argued with God sometimes when God won and sometimes when the prophet in the, in the Bible won. That just flipped my understanding of God inside out. Where I come from, you don't argue with God. You submit. You don't argue. Now, why it's fascinating to me is because as a rational thinker, there have been teachings or even impressions on my or I just want to say teachings because it, it'll show up as guilt. You need to do this. You, you didn't do that right. And then I will struggle in it. And I want to make sense. I want it to make sense. That doesn't make sense. Like I, you just heard me say a contradiction. Then if Jesus came to atone for our sins, why are we spending our energy on being sin free? Why do we put our efforts in being sin free? I understand putting our efforts into being um, even godly, I, I understand, um, I understand putting our efforts into doing good in the world, but this idea that world church is about like making sure you're not a sinner, you're a sinner. And there's all the shame attached to being a sinner. I don't get it. I don't get the contra. That feels like a contradiction to me. So, but if I take that to people that I know at the clergy that I know in Christian, Christian leaders that I know, I would be berated as though there's only, there's like a definitive answer. And one of the things my mom says that really, really makes me nervous, my mom says, there are no contradictions in the Bible. You just have to know how to read the Bible the right way. You have to know how to read the Bible the right way in order to see no contradictions. And so then I said, well, Ma, well, what's the right way? And she's like, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't believe everybody should have access to the Bible. Because <laughs> everybody doesn't have the maturity to know how to read it. And I'm like, it just takes me back to the industrial revolution. And when the printing machine was created and the Bible then became something that everyone could have access to if you could afford it, right? But before then, people only had access to the word of God by way of the the preacher. Whoever was, whoever was the person that was the minister preaching. 
the word. And I'm like, and then to me, as I study power, man, that could be a, can you imagine where your faith in God, your knowing of God is totally dependent on somebody giving you that information about the Bible, that you can't read it for yourself. It's totally dependent on someone else's reading and interpretation of it. So, I don't know. If she, I would. I think she should have a right to defend her thinking. So don't don't judge my mama. <laughs> but um, I've heard her say something like that a few times, and so. But I bring that up because her point is that the Bible doesn't have any contradictions. The Bible is a unified. It's a unified word of God. And there are a lot of people who uh, look at the Bible as they're full of contradictions in the Bible. And what I love about what I'm reading in this on these Jewish websites is that that's what it that's what rabbis do. That's what people they they it's okay to debate it and have different interpretations. That's okay to have different interpretations, but. I'm telling you, the Christian world I come from, it's not okay to have different, a different interpretation. There's a, now you might have a, a varying interpretation, but it's still based on one truth. So a week ago, I talked to you guys about, I think it was a week ago, looking at Hebrews 11 and 1, the, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And seeing that scripture, hearing that scripture all my life, and then about a week or two ago, I saw that scripture and had a completely new revelation of it. But, and then I shared it with my mom and my aunt, and one of my aunts, my sister, my other aunt, she's staying away from me right now. She will not, I got a theory about that. I feel like if I open that up, that's going to take me in a whole different direction, but she's a pastor and I just think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand how the, the people who are pastors in my life, why they won't commune with me as I'm going through this journey. And it, it I have a couple of theories as to why they won't, but it feels, it feels icky. You are a person who loves God and you love promoting God. And so, and I'm, I definitely believe that they love God. So then I'm thinking to myself, you don't love me because you don't want to, or you don't value me as a spiritual being trying to commune with God. That, and so my one aunt who I did talk to, she said she doesn't like to call me sometimes because she feels like she'll say the wrong thing. And that's so valid. That's so valid. And it's because of my love of words and concepts. You know, I don't know how, I don't, I don't want to open that up either because it's true. (laughs) You know, when I talk to people and then they say things and it's not sound or it's not thorough or that's, that's problematic. 
or if they say things that um, reinforce the status quo or reinforce a power structure that harms, that's um, that that'll also set me off, you know, just will be disappointed. And so, and then, and I honestly think what at the end of the day, when people say they don't want to talk to me because they don't want to set me off or whatever, they're saying is that they can't engage with me. They cannot intellectually engage with me with, and this is true. They then start engaging with me emotionally and I don't do that. And then it gets to be all like emotional chaos in my opinion. So let me put it this way. They cannot engage with me rationally. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looping here. I'm jumping around. So bear with me. But this is what I've been like thinking about. Can faith be a rational experience? Because the people I know treat faith as irrational. And not irrational as. I'm, I need to even do a juxtaposition between irrational and illogical. Because there's, there's something in me that wants to say, just because it's irrational doesn't mean it's illogical. Like, they have an irrational treatment of faith, but that's logical because they're consistently doing that, right? Or maybe it's illogical. I don't know. I'm not going to, I don't know. Anyway. Oh, if you're still listening to me, thank you. Because <laughs> I'm not making much sense this morning. Um, it's a Wednesday morning, by the way. Um, anyway, I think because I, I am rational, I need to be rational. And they don't. Their rational is in that treatment of faith. That it doesn't have to make sense. I can just believe it if it doesn't make sense. That's how they have interpreted that scripture. But I hear, I see that scripture a different. Like when I looked at that scripture a week or two ago, I saw something different. But as I explained it to the aunt that did talk to me and my mom and my sister, it didn't violate the essence of what they believe who God is. Okay, there it is. It doesn't violate the essence of who God is. So you can have different interpretations as long as there's, there's a core truth that you don't violate. And I'm, I guess maybe that's the same for the Jewish tradition. That as long as you don't violate the essence of God, you can interpret scripture however you want. However, you know, I always was taught that Christianity came to do away with the rules that religious, the religious world was so um, filled with rules. And maybe it is. I'm, but the stuff that I'm reading is more philosophical than it's rules based. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going to, like I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to continue to read. And I picked up something today. From like readings from like the Buddhist faith, but um, I didn't. I don't remember. I I didn't fully read it. So, so I'm going to continue to read on different interpretations of 
uh, spiritualities, different treatments of spirituality. Uh, because that feels really important to me to be at a place now where I, I don't know why. Why now? I'm not doing anything profound. Why couldn't I do this a year ago when I said I wanted to get more into my spirituality? I think that either I didn't know that I could separate it from religion. I did not know I could separate spirituality from religion. Or I didn't feel that I could. Wait, wait, that's, wait a minute. I didn't know. Okay, let me say it differently. I didn't know conceptually you could separate spirituality from religion. And then ethically, I didn't know that I could. So that's what I'm I'm differentiating. The concept of religion and spirituality from the ethics of religion and spirituality. And so I do feel like they're separate now. And I do believe that ethically I can. And maybe, maybe now that I feel like I can do it, now I can spend more time delving into some, what it means for me and coming up with a spiritual practice. And it may, I may discover that I've been engaged in a spiritual practice all along. Cause one thing I feel like I'm really disjointed in this reflection. So I do apologize. But one thing that came up for me in the last few days is this interest in personality theory. Because really personality theory for me is primarily a way to understand my interior landscape, the interior world. I think that it also helps me to understand how I respond to the outer world, but it's all about understanding the in, the interior part of me, the inside of me, my inner world. And I don't feel any other any other framework gives us that. There is no other framework that helps us to understand how we perceive, how we judge, how we feel. Nothing. Um, so this morning I woke up, you know, I'm always trying to find a way to push these two systems together in a, in a logical way. Um, the Myers-Briggs system and the Enneagram. And I woke up this morning and I played with it. It doesn't work. But I was trying to say the Enneagram explains how we think. And the Enneagram, the Enneagram, the Myers-Briggs helps us to understand how we think. And the Myers-Briggs helps us to think what we think about and why, the what and why. It gives us the what and why. But I don't know. I'm not ready to lock that in. I think what how I paired the two systems together last year around this time is that I've always said, and I haven't said it recently, but I don't think I've said it in season four, but I've been saying this for four years. And I'm documented as saying it. So somebody wants to take credit for this. You better be able to go back prior to four years to do it. <laughs> anyway. That the Enneagram is our is about our cognitive orientation. Like we have a sexual orientation. What's our cognitive orientation? And the Enneagram is our social emotional orientation. So the Myers Briggs is our cognitive orientation. 
explains our cognitive orientation, and the Enneagram explains our social-emotional orientation. So I like that better. I still really have been interested in how it they, you know, how they both impact behavior, right? So really the study, I guess in order for me to really pair those two systems, I'm going to have to really study behaviors because behaviors, there are different things that influence behavior. But this is a great way for me to get back to the conversation on the soul so I can start wrapping up. Um, but I think the, as one thing I want to say before I go back to the soul is that in me having a heightened interest in the inner world, and I'm learning that through the, these two, these personality systems, I see a connection between spirituality and typology. I do, I can't articulate it yet. Um, so as I was listening to that podcast on death and looking at how Carl Jung explored death, one of the things that, but there was so much in that podcast episode. One of the things that they said, I don't know if they can, I don't know if they attributed this to Carl Jung, but there are different realities. There are multiple realities. And I think oftentimes we assume that there's one reality. What I, what I, what I was confronted with as I listened to that episode was there are multiple realities. And who's to say which one is superior? And that's where you get into the cognitive functions. Different cognitive functions would give superiority to different realities, like would, would, would give preference rather to different realities. Right? So as a SI Dom, an SI Dom would see the sensory world as more real, as the real world. And NI Dom might, the mental world is more, is more, as more real. I don't know. So that was, but I think the point is that you just have multiple realities. They're, they're not greater or less than each other. They're just different. Um, naturally that makes me think about my talking about the matrix. The matrix is the way I talk about the social world. And that's been really important for me to process because, you know, I think this work this employment entrepreneurship dilemma that I struggle with is really because I've been really distracted by the matrix and by the rules of the matrix and the power of the matrix. And so one thing that has been helping me as of late is this idea that, um, when I say as of late, like as in the last three days, since I listened to that podcast episode, The, the matrix is, 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 is a thing. So I was treating the matrix as it was, as though it's an, it's an illusion that has, that, that has everybody confused. It's, it's an illusion that has duped everybody because people think the matrix is real. Matrix isn't real. 
Okay, that's fine. But then what is? I never was, I never challenged myself to say, well, if the matrix is not real, well, what is? Because I was assuming that anything outside of the matrix was real and it didn't need to be defined. That's what privilege is. You don't have to name a thing. You don't have to name a belief. It just is. So what I'm saying, what I've been doing over the last few days is trying to name the different realities. The matrix is one reality. The social world and all of its rules, it's one reality. I think, um, I think the physical world has a set of rules. And that's another reality. And I think the spiritual world is a set, it's, it has a set of rules. And that's another reality. Do these realities intersect? Yep. But they're separate realities with separate rules. Several ways. And so when I think about my entrepreneurship employment dilemma, the dilemma is that I'm not governed. I'm not allowing myself to be governed by the spiritual dimension, the spiritual reality. I'm being governed or distracted at least by the social, the social rules, the social reality. And part of the reason why this, the matrix or the social reality is governing me is because I don't have a way of leaning in to the spiritual reality. And that's one of the things that religion did for me. Religion told me to go to church. I would go to church and I would be fed spiritually. That's fine. But now I'm saying, yeah, it's great to go to church. And I do think the church can or the synagogue or you know, mosque or wherever you go to get fed spiritually, it does feed you. It's like, do you have to go to school? Do you have to go to a school building to learn? No. Do you have to go to a teacher to learn? No, you can learn on your own. But it is a certain type of learning when you are in a build, uh, when you go in, in, this, in space with other people and you have a teacher. And I believe that that's what church does. But it doesn't govern spirituality. So anyway, it doesn't dictate spirituality. So anyway, so I want to try to close with this notion of the soul. Um, so according to this text that we have, a um, this, this Jewish text, we have an animal soul and we have a godly soul. And that's how I got down that rabbit hole. That was a long rabbit hole, me saying that in the Christian faith, we are trying to distance ourselves from the animal soul. And the text that I read about from this on this website is that you need the body, the animal soul, and this godly soul to be fully human. That to be fully human, you have to embrace the animal side of you. And man, I want to say it's freeing, but it's a little scary because I have been indoctrinated my whole life that the animal side of me is the sinful side of me. It's the flesh side of me. It's bad. I think it even affects my sex life. Man, I don't want to get into the details of, it, of that, but... I really struggle with the animal side of me. I don't know. But anyway, so 
wanted just to say that. Um, and so when I was listening to that podcast, what they were talking about is the soul existed before the body. And that's what this Jewish teaching says too. That the soul existed before the body. And the body and the animal soul are part of the soul's journey. That There's a reason why the soul comes into a body for however long it does. It's something that it needs in its journey. And then when it leaves the physical body, it continues on. I want to know more about that. I want to know more about that. What is the soul that travels? It also made me wonder, when does the soul, this idea, when the soul enters the body? Now, this is another one. Uh, if you have strong views about um, abortion, pro-life, pro-choice, you want to you wanna stop listening because I'm going to go down. I'm going to venture off in some place I don't usually go into because I'm sensitive about this topic um, because I feel like I don't have a clear view that's connected to other people's views around this. And I know that that's been like the topic of discussion based on our Supreme Court, but I haven't even been following it. So I don't even want to try to um, talk about what the Supreme Court has done, is doing around uh, Roe, Roe v. Wade in terms of a woman's right to to terminate a pregnancy at a, up until a certain point. I don't want to touch that part of it, but I've always struggled with the idea of, pro of uh, terminating a pregnancy because I believe life begins at conception. I struggle, but at this, so I believe life begins at conception. I believe that's life. And I don't believe, you know, then I struggle with the idea of terminating life. I don't like to kill an ant. I will if it's crawling on me, <laughs> but I don't like to kill life. I feel bad when you pl pluck a flower. It's life. You know, I do. I'm looking at some flowers that were, you know what I mean? So that's the question I have to challenge with myself, right? Are you an absolute is your belief about life absolute? Because then I'm, then I would have to say, I'm like, I'm a hypocrite because I will kill an ant and that is life. I will pluck a flower. That is life. Right? I don't know. So that's how I feel about this. That's how I've always felt about abortion. Like it is life yet. I'm not willing to say a woman doesn't have a right to choose to terminate the pregnancy. Terminate the pregnancy. I'm not willing to say that. So I keep my views to myself, right? And and I pray that I'm never in a situation where I have to make that choice. Because I'm not sure what I would do. You know, <laughs> my grandmother, I know I told you before my grandmother passed, she's like, do you even know if you can make a baby? And I was like, Granny, are you trying to ask me if I've ever had an abortion? <laughs> I was like, no, Granny, I haven't. That's kind of personal. But so to your point, no, I don't know if I, I don't know. But I don't, there's no reason for me to believe that I couldn't have a, um, create life. Um, 
But that speaks to another issue around how we define womanness. Like, like, or not forget that. I don't want to touch that. This idea of being child free versus childless. The only way you would not have a kid is because you couldn't make a baby or you had an abortion. You would never be without a kid as a choice. Clearly, you couldn't make one or I shouldn't say choice or you terminated it, but not because you. I don't know what the word. Not because you made choices to not become pregnant. And even the idea of making a choice to not become pregnant is a little bit slanted. Right? Because I know people who made choices to not become pregnant and then it didn't, it didn't work out. It didn't work out like that. So I'm in, I'm in a space I need to back out of, but I want to just get to this point about the soul. So I've so the reason why I don't talk about life, uh, ter- uh, pregnancy, terminating a pregnancy, I don't talk about abortion, is because of my views about life um, at conception and the con- and how I still I want to believe a woman should be able to choose that, and that feels like a that feels like a conflict for me, so I don't talk about it. So the fact that I'm talking about it now is only because of this issue of the soul. The argument that I, if I'm reading this correctly, the soul does not enter into life until a certain point. But then that's a contradiction, the, the godly soul, excuse me. Because if the human has a, has a godly what it means to be human is you have a, a animal soul and a godly soul. The godly soul doesn't enter. The divine soul. I might be mixing some things together. But anyway, that's just a thought, right? Forget if this is coming from anywhere. The question is, when does life begin? And when does the divine soul enter the body? So on this podcast, it was when does the soul enter the body? But I'm thinking about the Jewish belief saying that all things have a soul. Anything that's living has a soul, right? So then you have to say the godly soul. Anyway, I have some work to do. I still have to meditate on this in my brain, you guys, before I can synthesize it. But I thought it was an interesting consideration that do you terminate the pregnancy and do you allow for the pregnancy to be terminated up until... That godly soul enters in. It's interesting. I don't know. But even the idea of the soul being the, the blueprint of who you are. That it doesn't come. It doesn't. Nec- like I never thought about that. The soul. Does the soul start at conception? so fascinating because I now want to think about personality theory you know because I've always wondered like this person you know there was a moment where I felt like 
my my INTJ-ness was conceived, was brought into conception. But I don't think that anymore. I think that there's something core to the personality as probably related to the soul. And then the environment begins to give shape to it. I met another INTJ. Uh, I want to talk about her at another time. I'm really excited about her. She's a mature, it's a mature INTJ. And I'm telling you, it is exciting to meet a mature INTJ because mm, I don't want to open that up. <laughs> but it's, I have been super excited to, to discover that this lady that I've been bonding with is an INTJ. And it makes complete sense that we're bonding. Um, but I I met two other INTJs and we did not bond. We didn't. Not like this lady. And so um, it's fascinating to me. I also met another, I met, um, excuse me, I have some thinking about um, childhood trauma as it relates to those cognitive functions. But anyway, that's all separate. So I think I'm, I think I'm at the end of this reflection. Um, just the idea of the soul. And then I guess, after I contemplate the soul, then I have to kind of contemplate spirit. And according to this website, this Jewish website, spirit is what connects the soul and the body. But I wrote in a website I looked at this morning, it says spirit and I wrote it down. Where is it? Spirit has a couple of components. You guys, I don't know. I'm going to have to study this because I, I can't come up with a definition of spirit other than it is it is that which ex, it, it, that exceeds the human experience. It exceeds the human experience. Yet it is part of the human experience. But it exceeds us. It extends beyond the body, it, expen- it extends beyond the soul, but it is part of us. I don't know if you guys have a way of explaining that. So anyway, those are all, that's a, that's just my thinking, um, on spirituality and the soul. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that, I feel like I want to integrate this into some kind of grand revelation and I just don't have it. So you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about spirituality and the soul and when, when does, when does the soul enter the body? When does life begin? Um, if any of that, it connects to a conversation you've had in the world. Uh, please take this link and share it out. I also talked about religion and Judaism and Christianity and conflict. Oh, one thing I forgot to finish is that um, this idea of arguing with God is also, like I said, it was, I don't think I've finished telling you how freeing that is for me. Not that I want to argue with God, but he, because I felt like God recently in the last six years had to give me permission to be a rational person because being a rational thinker has always conflicted with how I was taught about faith. Um, but this idea that I can argue with God, I don't know if what I'm going to do with that. I don't fully know if that's something I like. 
I think that I don't want to be on the level with God <laughs> as a human. I don't, I don't want, or let me put it this way. I don't want to bring God down to my level that I need to feel. I want to feel that there is an entity in this world, whatever it is that knows more than I do. I just, I don't like when people personify God. I don't like when people give God feelings. And that's one thing I read on this website that I didn't like. God has feelings. I don't like that. Because I want God to be (laughs) an INTJ. (laughs) An INTJ God. That's a reflection. An INTJ, oh my gosh, an INTJ God. That's funny. But I don't want God to have feelings. But I'm like, I've always not wanted God to have feelings. But I'm now wondering, is that because I feel feelings are irrational? Uh, That scares me, a feeling God. I hate when, I mean, I I don't like when people are like, that makes God angry. Really? But, But that's something to consider. Does God have feelings? Uh, I don't know. But anyway, let's go back. If this conversation, so no, 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 no. So I don't want to argue with God, but the idea that you can argue with him, it's just, it just opens my mind up to expand my thinking of God. And I'm only saying God, I'm even, I didn't even, I wasn't even comfortable using the word God up until recently because I'm just like, uh, I don't know what's out there. It's, I don't really know. I do believe there's something bigger than me. And like just in the last week or two, like, well, I'm going to call it God. Sometimes I say universe, spirit. But I've been, I think the more I've been thinking about spirituality and owning it for myself, my own spirituality, I'm comfortable returning to the word God. Because now it's something I'm controlling. I'm owning. It's not. Somebody imposing it on me. And so God now is, God is a personal word. It's personal. Wasn't personal before. I don't know. It makes me think about when my sister and I would, would be like, yo daddy, yo mama, right? I used to go, your mama. She would always go, yo daddy. They were both of our parents. My but I wouldn't refer to my mother as my mom. I would always say, your mother. And then we got to a place where we played around with flipping it. So now I'm like, your God, my God, and your God. Right? I don't know who, I don't know what you believe, but let me tell you about my God, right? And I, ain't, I don't have to convince you that my God is real. I don't have to do that because my God is totally within my own subjectivity. And that's okay. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, anyway. I'm sorry I missed my closeout. Let me start over. If this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about religion, spirituality, the soul, God, um, life, death. <laughs> a woman's, you know, abortion, a woman's right to choose. Um, if any of this relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. 
You can find me on my website at yourandidom.wordpress.com. You can also find me on Twitter at yourandidom1 and on Facebook and YouTube, yourandidom. Let me give you your assignment. What is your relationship to spirituality? So I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you a couple of things to consider. Is your relationship to spirituality by way of religion? Um, is it by way of in the environment, right? Is it by way of having a deep understanding of your inner landscape, personality theory? What, what defines spirituality for you and how do you access it? How do you access it? How do you develop it? And I guess the second question is, what do you, what do you think about, what are your beliefs around spirit and the human experience? Is, does the human experience constitute spirit? We can, I can also ask you about the soul, but I don't want to do that. I'm really wanting, does the human experience constitute spirit and to what degree, in what ways is the human experience connected to this idea of spirit? Another thing about Christianity is saying that when you get the Holy Spirit, the spirit lives in you. But according to the Jewish faith, the God soul, I wonder what the relationship is between the God soul and the Holy Spirit. But we're not, I'm not going to open this up because I'll keep talking. So anyway, let me give you, your, your assignment just has two questions. What, um, how do you define spirituality and how do you personally access first? How do you access your, um, your former spirituality? If at all. And then number two, what is your view on mankind and spirit? The human experience and spirit. So there you go, you guys. You guys, it has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.